Well, well, well. Sounds like we're going to take that show on the road. That was great. All the music was wonderful this morning. Take your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi, chapter number three. The book of Malachi, chapter number three this morning. I'm so glad that you're here today. I'm glad that uh, we are kind of getting back to normal a little bit, if there's such a thing. And uh, I'm glad the weather is uh, beautiful outside, and I'm glad that you're in the house of the Lord today. Um, If you've not been here uh, since the beginning of the year, um, we have uh, kind of given our theme for the year, um, entitled Own Your Vision, um, 1942. Uh, to 2017, as this marks the 75th year of West Carrollton Baptist Church and North Point Baptist Church um, ministering to the community of Carroll County and the surrounding counties. And um, I I spoke to the church the first couple of weeks about uh, the fact that many times pastors get in the pulpit on the very first Sundays of the year, very first month of the year, and they begin to draw out a vision for the church. And they begin to tell them uh, what God has spoken to them about for the vision and the direction of the church. And uh, as I began to think about the year and thinking about what God was going to continue to do through our church in 2017, the Lord directed my heart in a different way. And the fact that Uh, uh, You know, so many times when we come to places like this, the church has to gravitate to the vision in which that God has given the pastor. And this year, um, in this particular time, I don't believe that that it is uh, 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 necessary uh, for you to grab a hold of my vision. Because if you grab a hold of my vision, then as the year goes, you'll say, well, we're doing this for the pastor, we're doing this for the church, we're not doing this for the Lord. And so this year, I want us to own our own vision. I want us to figure out what it is that God wants each individual one of us to do uh, for the furtherance of the gospel, for the furtherance of the ministry, for the furtherance of North Point Baptist Church. I challenge you the very first Sunday um, about your own life and just uh, getting your life in order and refreshing it and putting it in a place that you feel like that God could use you. I talked to you last Sunday about the importance of your personal walk with God. Today... No one is allowed to get up and leave when I tell you what I'm about to preach on, all right? (laughs) If you're visiting with us this morning, I want to thank you for coming. If you ask anybody in this congregation, they're going to tell you the exact same thing that I'm about to tell you right now. What I'm going to preach on this morning is very out of the ordinary for me. Um, And uh, if you're visiting, um, you are here, and I, I thank you for being here, but today I need to pour my heart out to our church Um, And to the individuals in our church that um, know about our church, know the history of our church, and uh, lay out for you a very bright future for our church. I'm going to be nostalgic for a moment, if you'll allow me. Two and a half years, almost three years ago in March, I received a phone call from your church asking if I was interested in becoming the pastor here. I expressed my interest. They told me that there would be a phone interview. They called me. As a matter of fact, uh, Stephen Sylvia is the one that called me with a group of people that uh, sat into a room with a, uh, a telephone, and it was, I was on speakerphone, and they asked me questions for about 30 minutes. 
We finished that phone call, and you, there were 17 um, of them that were in the room at the time. I could introduce you to all of them if you uh, uh, want to hear all the nitty-gritty of how it all happened, but I'm just going to kind of give you a quick overview. Sometime after that, I received another phone call, and they asked me if I would consider coming here and meeting with the pulpit committee. I arrived. Uh, my family and I, my wife said, I told my wife, I said, I'll just go by myself. It's going to be on a Friday night. And uh, she said, no, if we're going to go, we're going to go as a family. And so we arrived in a little town called Carrollton, Georgia, that we didn't even know existed. Uh, I've told you this story before, but we drove down Bankhead, and we got to Maple Street, and we turned around, and we came back. And my wife looked at me, and she said, "Uh, we can't move here because there are no grocery stores. (laughs) And I said, well, there's the food depot. (laughs) Um, And didn't even know what that was. And uh, so we arrived here on the campus uh, my wife uh, and uh, my children, along with a, a teenage girl that was here, or that is here, um, took my kids and they played while I met with these 17 wonderful people. For about two and a half hours, we sat in a room together and we shared. They asked me questions the very first hour, and then they got ready to say, well, we're done. And I looked at them and I said, well, you've asked me questions, now it's my turn. They all kind of looked at me and said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. As we were in that room, I shared my heart with them about ministry and about church in general. And I asked the question, what is the financial outlook of North Point Baptist Church? At that time, the church had been through many things. And I received a little bit of an overview as much as they could give to me. We walked away from that meeting. I drove home the next day. It was a very quiet drive for six hours as my mind was beginning to reminisce about the conversation that had taken place the night before. We got home that day. What you don't know is, some of you know this, my wife had already begun packing. She told me we were moving, and I didn't even know it. (laughs) Several days later, I received a phone call that asked me to come candidate for the church. I was to be here on Friday night. Friday morning, one of my sons got rather ill and ended up in the emergency room. I wasn't able to make it on Friday night, but I was gonna, we decided that we could come up on Saturday. We spent the day with you on Saturday, and then I candidated on Sunday. The following Sunday, I received the phone call that you guys wanted us to come and be the pastor of North Point Baptist Church. We packed up all of our belongings, and I arrived here on a Thursday afternoon, moved into our home, came and preached on Sunday. And Monday morning, I walked into the office. Didn't even know where my office was at, the point, at that time. And, of course, Miss Kim was here. And I said to her, I said, Miss Kim, I said, will you do me a favor? And she, she said, sure. I said, will you print out for me the financial status of the church so that I can begin to work on what needs to be worked on? Now, I'm telling you something that I've never told you before. And I told you as the church this morning, I really need to share my heart with you. She put that piece of paper or several pieces of paper on my desk. She may not remember this. She walked out of my office and as she was getting ready to close the door, she turned around and she looked at me and she said, 
Pastor Lee, it's going to be okay. I didn't know what she meant. (laughs) Until I looked down. (laughs) I sat in that office for a few hours (laughs) and began to pray. And I told the Lord, we have a long way uphill to go. I sat in a deacon's meeting for the very first time as the guys began to share everything with me. And they'll probably remember me saying this. After the conversation had concluded, they said, Pastor, are you okay? And I said, I'm fine. I said, everything is going to be okay. I said, but it's probably going to take five years for us to level out. I said, it's probably going to take five years for us to recover not only uh, people-wise, not only hurt-wise, and also financially. And I said, are you guys in it for five years at least? And they looked at me and they said, yes, sir. Are you in it for five years? I said, I'm in it till God tells me I'm done or he takes me to heaven one or the other. Now, many times in our lives, this is what we have a tendency to do. We have a tendency to focus on the negativity in our life, and we never focus on the celebratory moments in our life. In two and a half years, since that moment, nothing, absolutely, positively, nothing to do with me, everything to do with you. God has taken our church from being $2.4 million in debt Now, if you're visiting with us this morning, I'm telling you, you're going to find out things this morning that you had no idea when you walked in this place, and I'm okay with that. I really am. Because I'm going to finish out this day, and you're going to walk away, and you're going to say, even if you never walk through the doors of this church, you're going to say, God has done something in that place that nobody can explain. $2.4 million to today, we sit... At $1,200,000 in debt. Now, let's do the calculations here for just a moment. We are a million dollars less in debt than what we were two and a half years ago. Can I ask you a question this morning? Do you know of anyone that has a $2.4 million mortgage that paid off a million dollars in two and a half years? You say, Pastor, how is that possible? That's God. That's God. Now, I'm going to do something this morning that has made me uncomfortable. And the Lord has really, really led me in this direction. I have not spoken to our staff about what I'm about to tell you. I really have not even spoken to any of the leadership. None of the deacons have any idea what I'm about to share with you. Because the truth of the matter is, until 10 o'clock this morning, I honestly didn't know if I was going to get up here and just wing it and change the message completely. But the Lord is not letting me get away from it. And so I have to share it with you. Abraham Lincoln became president before the days of civil service 
uh, office seekers besieged him everywhere trying to get appointments to various jobs throughout the country. Once confined to bed with typhoid fever, exasperated, Lincoln declared to his secretary, bring all the office seekers, I have something I can give to everybody. I have to lighten the mood, all right? Um, This is one of those moments where it's time that I kind of really get us challenged. Really take us to the next level of being challenged. I told you that um, back on, on January 1st when we met, that I prayed that the Lord would challenge me to the very nth degree this year. That He would take me beyond anything that I could ever imagine or anything that I could ever expect in the vision that he would give for me, for my family, for myself personally, and for my church. And uh, I believe that God has given us a pattern um, in order to successfully overcome and ultimately win the victory in this uh, lot that has been given to us. Now, uh, as I mentioned to you a moment ago, that before I begin, that this sermon is addressed personally and, and really to North Point Baptist Church. We ended the year, December the 31st, 2016, um, a better year than we had ever had since I've been here at North Point Baptist Church. And that is because, once again, as a congregation, that you stepped up financially to help us overcome And then the Lord did some things this year um, to help us overcome a surmountable amount of uh, of debt at one time. And uh, He has given us the opportunity to continue to uh, marginalize and to continue to erase this weight, as I will call it throughout this message, that has uh, literally uh, put a hold on us in some degree, but has also released us in some degree as well. And so I believe that God has given me a personal vision, my own vision, as you can see our theme. And my prayer is, is that somehow along the way, through uh, my uh, uh, inadequate way this morning of sharing with you uh, about finances, uh, that you can gravitate and grab a hold of as well. As I've told you, uh, we are praying that God would challenge us as a church beyond our expectation and comprehension. And today, we own the vi- it's t- today, as we own the vision, it is time to be challenged. As I introduce today's topic on giving, please don't turn me off or feel like that we are after your money, uh, because we are not. As I've said before, I recognize the risk of preaching about giving, and I promise you, I promise you, as, I, as I've never done in this pulpit, that I will never pressure you to do anything you do not sense God leading you to do. Are you with me this morning? Okay. I, I'm not going to pressure you. I'm not going to ask you to do something that, that, that uh, God, I'm just going to ask you to allow God to do it for you and with you. If you have your Bibles, Malachi chapter number 3, and uh, if you'll stand with me as we read one verse of scripture this morning. Malachi chapter number 3, verse number 10. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 10. The Bible says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now, herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour out a blessing, that there shall be not be, or excuse me, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God has promised that if we are faithful in our giving, that he will be faithful 
to bless us. Let's say our prayer. Father, we love you. Lord, I pray that you'll bless the time that we have together. Lord, I pray that you'll help me. Uh, my mind is, is struggling a little bit, just trying to, to, to get into the process here that you have laid on my heart. And God, I just pray that you'd give me clarity of thought. Lord, may those that are sitting in this room know my heart. And that's, that's what I want more than anything, is that our people would know my heart. And my heart is for this church, and my heart is for the vision of this community, and my heart is is to see us continue to move forward and continue to do what it is that God has called each one of us to do. Lord, we love you, but most of all, we thank you for loving us. For it's in your precious and holy Son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of taking notes, on the back of your bulletin, there's an outline. If you'll take that outline and fill it out as we go along. Number one, the law of tithing. The law of tithing, and uh, I'm going to just lay out for you, it's going to take me a few minutes, but I'm just going to lay out for you what the Old Testament and the New Testament says about giving. And so it starts with the law of tithing. Letter A, the requirement. These are all right there in your outline. The requirement. So the law of tithing began with a requirement. The first thing we notice about giving in the Old Testament is the word tithe. This word literally means a tenth or 10% of your gross income. Some would argue that this requirement is based on the law. However, it is important to remember that Abraham practiced tithing before uh, 400 years before the law was ever even established in Genesis chapter 14 and verse number 20 when he gave a tenth of everything that he owned to the priest Melchizedek. And so uh, some would argue that the reason that we, we necessarily don't have to tithe anymore is because that was under the law. Well, uh, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that it was being practiced before the law was ever even instituted. In Malachi's time, the people had stopped bringing uh, 10% of their possessions and crops to the Lord. Instead of giving what was rightfully to God, they had followed other things to get in the way. They would allowed other things to get in the way. Many of God's people had made a pretense of giving 10%, but were actually giving much less. Now, I'll tell you that, um, I, and I've told you this before, I'm not the person, and, and it won't happen again today, I'm not the person that hands out everybody a commitment card and says, okay, here's, uh, fill it out, drop it in the offering plate, and we'll count it all up and figure out how much you owe. Now, if you've done that in the past, please understand that I'm not, I'm not looking down on anybody or, or saying that there was the wrong thing to do. Please understand that. That's just not who I am. I just don't believe that giving to the Lord should be a bill. I believe giving to the Lord should be something that we graciously want to do and that we're excited about doing. And uh, so uh, many of God's people had a pretense of giving 10%, but were actually giving much more. Incidentally, according to a recent study that the Barna Research Group, uh, while 17% of Christians claim to tithe, in actuality only about 6% do so. In addition... The average churchgoer is only giving about 2% of their income to the Lord's work. That means that God is literally just getting the leftovers in many churches today. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I almost didn't put that statistic in there, but I thought it was important. Because on the flip side of that, when you look at what God is doing in our church, I would have to say that that is, uh, we are, uh, uh, fortunately, we are not a part of the statistic here. Remember I was talking about celebrating victories? We are not necessarily part of that statistic. 
However, we should be challenged in our own heart, in our own mind, that even under the law, if you want to use that terminology, there is a guideline, there is a, 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 a guide and a gauge to, get, to tell us what we should be giving to the Lord. Secondly of all, not only the requirement, but let her be the response. And I know I'm going quick, but there's a reason for that. Um, the response. Uh, God not only required a tithe in the Old Testament, he challenged his people to respond to him when he says, prove or test me in this. Malachi chapter number 3 and uh, verse number 10. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house. Look what the next phrase says. And prove me now. This is the only time in the word of God where we are challenged to prove God. Let me say it this way. In other passages that deals with testing God, we are told not to do so. However, when it comes to giving, God invites us to test Him because the real issue is not money. The real issue is trust. Are you seeing it? When we decide to give a percentage of our income to the Lord, we then have the opportunity to have Him trust, or to, for us to trust Him to meet all of our necessary needs. God says, Hey, why don't you just prove me? Why don't you just trust me? It's amazing to me that we trust God with eternity, but we can't trust Him with anything else. We're okay with saying, well, I'm going to give my life to Christ and, and I'm going to ask Him to come into my heart and save me and, and He's going to save me from a literal hell and I'm going to uh, have heaven even though I can't see heaven, even though I can't see God, I'm trusting Him in that. Well, if you can trust Him with your soul, you can trust Him with everything that you have. See, the real issue is not money. The real issue is trust. God is saying, I dare you. That, that's the leology Right there. I dare you. I, I challenge you. Test me in this way to see if I really exist or not. This is one of the most amazing verses in all the Word of God. He allows, God allows Himself to be put on trial. Just test me. Prove me. By the way, He did not have to make this promise. He could have simply just told us to do it. But instead, He says to prove Him. He wanted us to get to know him in a much deeper way. Is God really alive? Is he real? Is he loving? Will he keep his promise? Well, the truth of the matter is, is one of the best ways to find out is to start giving. I grew up in a home where my mom and dad... We would uh, show, wake up on Sunday mornings and we'd all get dressed and we'd get in the car. My dad would get in the front seat, my mom would get in the passenger seat, and all of us children would get in the back. My mom would open her purse and she'd start divvying out quarters. I got a quarter, my sister got a quarter, my brother, my mom would say, pull your wallet out. Didn't you work some this week? Well, yes, I did. Well, how much did you make? My brother would have to tell her. She'd say, all right, pull it out. And maybe this time it was only supposed to be $1.50. And he'd say, Mom, do you have change for a dollar? And she'd say, no, God's got that under control. He, he makes change really well. You just go ahead and give that other dollar. When I left home, 
I got married. I'm going to be real honest with you. All right? I'm going to tell them myself. Your pastor thought, what's the point in this tithing thing? What's the point in this giving thing? We go to church and we give the money and we pay the preacher. That's what we do. That's what my mind was. I'm just telling you the truth. And, and, and one day I was sitting in the church service and the offering plate passed by me. My wife sitting beside me. She grew up in church. My wife leans over to me and she says, aren't we going to give? And you say, Pastor, you're the pastor. I know I am, but I'm, about, I'm serious with you, okay? I'm being real with you. I said, nah, I think it'll be all right. I remember our lives. And I remember what a struggle financially we had. I'm just being honest with you. I remember trying to dig through couches. I'm just telling you the truth. Dig through couches to find enough money that had fallen out of our pockets to be able to go buy milk for my son. And my wife and I would look at each other and we'd go, where's the money going? And I'd say, I don't know. I, I, I don't know where it's going. I, I don't know why we can't even find enough money to, 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 to buy milk for our children. I met, went and met with a pastor. This was when I was working in the armored car industry. I went and met with a pastor and I was explaining to him what our problem was. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He looked at me dead in the eyes and this is what he said. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, how much are you giving? And I said, I can't afford to give. He said, it doesn't sound like you can't afford not to give. And I said, but if I give money, then that's less money that I have. He said, you've got the principle all wrong, young man. He said, if you will give it, then you'll realize that you have more than you ever need. And I said, you're, you're wrong. You're, you're, you're teaching these fallacies of prosperous giving that, that if I give a little bit, that God will just raise my barn and he'll fill it up and all that kind of stuff. I said, that's heresy. He said, it might be in your mind. He said, but I can tell you one thing. I could march people across this room that would tell you that they decided to give to God and God took care of every need in their life. I said, okay, I'm going to do it. He said, okay. That first Sunday came around. I'm just honest. Can I be honest? Really? That offering plate came around. We talked about this, honey. Yeah, we did. Okay. I just want to make sure we're still on the same page. I'm not telling you a lie. I'm telling you the absolute truth. The very first day that I decided that we were going to give is the day that my life changed forever. Forever. I'm not kidding. I realized something as my life has continued on, that if I challenge God, if I test God, 
that He will always prove to be true. He will always prove to take care of me. There's been times in my life where, where I've had to give and, and, and I knew it was the right thing to do. And, and it was one of those things where it's like, where in the world is the rest of it going to come from? And I would talk to my wife and I'd say, should we just not do it this week? And her and I would say, no, we promised God that we would do it. And, and the Bible says it's better uh, not to make a vow than to make a vow and break it. And, and, and so we just try God and we try God and we try God and we try God and we try God. And God would say, here you go here you go here you go here you go why don't you try me again now you're sitting out there and you're thinking pastor what did you drink before you came in here this morning I'm telling you one of the best ways to prove that God is who he says he is is to give you say, Pastor, you're just saying that because it's the church and because this is what you do. And be- No, no, no. I'm telling you that because the Bible tells you that. I'm preaching to myself this morning. I'm going to share more about that in just a moment. Number, let us see the reward. The reward. God promises a reward to his people when they put him first with their finances. He says in Malachi 3.10, in the last part of that verse, if, not, if, I, uh, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. He promises that he'll take care of us. Proverbs 3 says, I'm the Lord with thy f- uh, substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out. With new wine. The word pour in Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 10 means to make empty. When we trust God with our giving, He will empty His bucket of blessings on us and we will barely be able to stand it. We'll feel like we do not have any more room to hold everything that God has for us. Now, again, I'm not here preaching to you about prosperous giving because I don't believe in that. I don't believe that, that if you decide to give everything that you have, that one day uh, you're going to be driving a Ferrari. What I do believe is that God has promised that he will take care of all of our needs. That's what I believe. I believe when I trust God, because that's what it's about, right? It's all about trust. When I trust God, he will in return Bless me. Let me give you an example. When my children were younger, have you ever taken a little baby and thrown him up in the air? You ever done that? Every time I'd do it, my wife would go, (gasps) and I would say, it's okay. Do you know that that baby was not old enough to tell me that he didn't trust me? He wasn't old enough to say, no! When I would throw our little babies up in the air and I would catch them, do you know what they would do? They would laugh, wouldn't they? Why? Well, first of all, instinctively, they trust me. Second of all, whenever they were thrown in the air, it was fun. Look at me for a moment. Are you with me? Are you going to follow me here? God is throwing you in the air. And by the way, when you start giving, it's a lot of fun. It really is. Because God then will catch you when you start falling. When it feels like I can't, I just, I don't think I can do it. Then God will catch you and what will you do? You'll start laughing. 
Because it's like God's got this. And I'm going to try Him again. And I'm going to test Him again. And I'm going to prove Him again. And He throws me in the air and He catches me. Because I trust Him. Because I trust Him. Proverbs 22, 9. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed. For he giveth of his bread to the poor. I don't have time to get into more detailed discussion about tithing this morning. But I do want to make four quick statements. Number one. While we are no longer under the law, tithing is a good benchmark for believers. In other words, it's a good place to start, or, or a minimum guide, per se. Number two, it's easy to tithe and yet miss out on what's really important. Jesus took the Pharisees to task, not because they didn't tithe, but because they had become so legalistic that they no longer cared about their love for God or for their neighbor. Listen, when you tithe, don't do it for me. Let me say that again. When you tithe, don't do it for me. Don't do it for North Point Baptist Church. Do it for God. When you're giving, give it to God. That's what we're to do. Luke eleven forty two. But woe unto you Pharisees, for your tithe, mint, and root, and all manner of herbs, and, uh, and Passover judgment, and the love of God. These ought uh, ye uh, to have done, and not to leave the other undone. He said, listen, you're just, it's just a big show. God looks at the heart. You ready? Not the hand. He focuses on the giver, not the gift. Here you go. Ready? Because the attitude is more important than the amount. Let me say that again. Because when, 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 I, when I saw that and was reading it and thought about it, it kind of just sunk in. God looks at the heart, not the hand. He focuses on the giver, not the gift. Because attitude is more important than the amount. Attitude is more important than the amount. Number three, the practice of tithing is a good reminder of who's in charge of my life. When I give at least 10%, it's a way to be reminded that God owns everything that I have. And I'm just entrusted to it. So why do we give? God doesn't need our money. He has more resources than we can even handle. God wants what your money represents, which is you. When giving to God, we are just taking our hands off of what belongs to Him. In the first place, my use of money shows what I think of him because my giving is a thermometer of my love. Someone has said sacrifice is the ecstasy of giving the best we have to the one whom we love the most. It's our giving. Number four, God promises to provide for us and protect us when we put him first with our finances. Blessings come to those who tithe. And amazingly, Malachi 3.11 states that God will keep, cert, uh, keep certain bad things from happening when we give him our first fruits. When I give, I put myself in a position to trust God to meet all of my, my needs. Now, there are at least two consequences for not giving or tithing in Malachi 3. First, when we do not put God first... Uh, in our finances, we are, are, are end up robbing him. We end up robbing God. In Malachi uh, verses, uh, 3, verses 8 and 9, it says, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? He said, in tithes and offerings. Secondly, as we've already pointed out, if we don't tithe, uh, we are robbing ourselves of a blessing. So we're robbing God, and we're robbing ourselves. Number two, and I'm going to be quick, I promise, the pattern of giving. There is a quick pattern. We're going to translate from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Uh, from the law, which says about the tithe, to the New Testament, where it talks about the grace of giving. 
Uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 2, Upon the first day of the week, let every man, or excuse me, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Uh, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him. First of all, giving should be punctual. Giving should be punctual. Uh, the Bible says that believers are to give on a regular basis the first day of the week. So giving should be punctual, something that, that we want to do, that we're excited about doing. Letter B, giving should be not only punctual, but it should be personal. The Bible says that, that it is something between you and God. Let me tell you something. At North Point Baptist Church, this pastor right here that stands in front of you uh, has no idea. Zero. The only person that he knows how much they give is me, myself, and I. I don't know what you give. I don't want to know what you give. Because giving is personal. It's between you and God. It's something that you decide with the Lord. It's not something that we decide corporately. It's not something that we write down and hand in. It's something that is personal between me and God. Will you hit the next slide for me? Not only that, let us see. Giving should be proportional. It should be proportional. The Bible says that as, uh, as you have been prospered in your life to give, we are giving according to how God has blessed us. Proportional giving means that the more God blesses us, the more we are able to give. That is New Testament's grace giving which may involve more than just giving 10%. According to Malachi, the more you give, the more you are blessed. 1 Corinthians teaches the more you are blessed, the more you can give. Isn't that a great thought? It goes hand in hand. The Old Testament gives us command to tithe by setting a standard of percentage giving. In the New Testament, the command becomes a model as we are urged to practice unlimited proportional giving. Number three, and I'm done. The grace of giving. The grace of giving. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the Bible says this. Moreover, brethren, we do you wits of the grace of God bestowed on the churches at Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Do you see what it just said? It said the abundance of their joy, their trial, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. We never associate poverty and joy, do we? But here, Paul is writing and he's saying that they have a lot of poverty and they have a lot of joy. You know why? Because joy is not based upon what I have, it's based upon who he is. Are you with me? Joy is based upon who Christ is in my life. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth to help them see their responsibility to give to the poor in Jerusalem. Their giving was a visible expression of the fact that Jesus had torn down the walls of hostility between the Jew and the Gentiles. Two things characterize these Macedonians. Overflowing joy and extreme pro uh, poverty. This is striking because we don't normally put those two together. Paul is actually giving us a mathematical equation. And if you don't get anything else out of this message, this is what I want you to see. Here it is. This is the pinnacle of it. Overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. 
I didn't make that up. That's right out of the word of God. Overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. You saying, Pastor, have you lost it? Are you telling us to go become all poverty so that we can be happy? No, I'm not telling you that. What I'm telling you is this, is that when we decide that we are going to buy into what God has designed for us by giving, that God is going to take care of everything that we need in our lives, and as we keep being generous, and as we continue to be generous, and as we continue to be generous, God continues to bless us. That is the pattern. It's the pattern. I want you to understand a most important principle. People do not give when they have more money. People start giving when they have more joy. Did you see that? People don't start giving when they have more money. People start giving when they have more joy. You go to any type of fundraiser, they're not, everybody's not walking around with their, uh, the people that are in charge are not walking around, moping around, saying, I don't think we're going to make it. No, what do they have? They have these thermometers up here. You seen them? And they got three people with highlighters or markers. And what are those guys doing? They're up there coloring it in. We're almost there, folks. We're going to keep coloring it in. And they're excited. And, and, and they're, they're, they're trying to reach their goal. And what does it make people? It makes people happy when people start coloring. Right? You see, people give. When they find joy in giving, letter A, the procedure of grace giving. The procedure of grace giving. Every man, according as he has purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I told you when we started this message, and I promise you I'm, I'm getting close to being done. When we started this message, I told you that I would never, ever, in, in all of my years of pastoring, pressure you into anything. Because that's just not who I am. Who I am wants to see you and your life be enriched because of what God is doing in your life. Every man according as he has purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, nor of necessity. God loveth a cheerful giver. First of all, give thoughtfully. When we give, it should be something that we think through beforehand. I don't want you to walk out of here... I know that some of you are beginning to think in your own mind and beginning to reminisce and maybe even start praying. I don't want you to make a whimsical decision in your life. Are you listening to me? Many times we'll go to a store and we'll look at a product and we're like, we have to have that. Right? And you walk over to it and you examine it and you look at it and you're like, that has got to go home with me today. And so you walk up to it and you pull it out and you walk up to the counter and you're like, how many credit cards will you take at a time? Because it's not going to be there tomorrow. I've got to have it. And we make a whimsical decision, a, a purchase, and then we get home and we put it all together and then it just sits there. And it's barely used. And then that first bill comes in and we're like, why did we make such a foolish decision? I don't want you to walk out of here this morning making any kind of whimsical decision. Any type of decision that would change your course of life financially. That, that is not my goal in this. Please understand that. The Bible says that, that we are to give and give thought. Not only that, give enthusiastically. Paul tells us 
not to give reluctantly. Please don't ever give out of guilt. That is not biblical. Number three, give voluntarily. You should feel no pressure to give. We do not believe in pressure giving here. We believe in grace giving. It's a joy to give. Give cheerfully. The word cheerful comes from the Greek word hilaros, from which we get the word hilarious. God wants us to be hilarious in our giving. This is my thought here. This is what I got out of the Greek. In the New Testament, when they took an offering, they had a blast. They had fun doing it. It was fun to be able to give. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiplied your seed shown, and increased the fruits of your righteousness. Every time you give an offering or give your tithe to the Lord, you're saying, thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done in my life. Because all that you have given me, I cheerfully give back to you now. This verse reminds me of something someone once said, and I love this saying. As I shovel out, God shovels in, and God has a bigger shovel. That was great. As I shovel out, God shovels in, and God has a bigger shovel. If you've ever shoveled snow, I was in, when I lived in Michigan one afternoon, I was out uh, shoveling snow, and uh, it, it's such a joy, let me tell you. Um, But I was out shoveling snow. I think we'd had 18 inches that night, which wasn't that bad. And I'm out shoveling snow, and I'm putting it. The way you do it is you you shovel out your driveway. But when you get to the end of the driveway, typically what you're supposed to do, uh, this was before I learned, uh, you take that snow and you put it in your yard. Well, I took that snow and put it on the curb. About, I don't know, I'd been inside maybe 20 minutes after shoveling for four hours. And all of a sudden, I heard this truck going down the uh, road. I looked outside and he had shoveled everything that I had put in the road back into my driveway. That was what they call a snowplow. He had a bigger shovel than I did. My wife, she was laughing on the inside, probably not on the outside. She was probably scared to do that. But after it was all over with, she goes, this is what she said to me. She goes, oops, I forgot to tell you. When you get to the end, just put it in the yard (laughs) because they're going to come through and shovel it back in your driveway and you're going to be stuck again. See, God has a bigger shovel. Let her be the promise. The promise. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Did you notice all the alls? <laughs> all the alls. Uh, all grace abound in all things, at all times, having all that you need, abound in every good work. When we put God first, we can expect Him to meet all of our needs. That does not mean that God makes every Christian wealthy in material things, but it does mean that the believer who practices grace giving will always have what he needs when he needs it. Let her see. Here's the proposal. Let me give you my thoughts. It's time to test our faith and to trust the Lord in every area of our lives. I personally see big plans for our church. However, we have some weights along the way. And it's time to put our weights aside. What I'm about to share with you in the next five minutes, and we'll close. 
is something that it took, it began in my own personal life. And now I am giving it to you. What you decide to do with it is completely up to you. Please understand that. Please understand that you are not making a commitment to me. And please understand that you are not making a commitment to God. Please understand that everything that I'm about to share with you is personal. I'm going to open up to you in a very personal way about my own life. When we finished out 2016, as I always do, I sat down with my wife and I, and we began to review our own personal budget. And as we were sitting one night talking about different things that we can change in our lives to help take away some of our own personal weights, I looked at her and I said, I wonder. And she said, what do you wonder? I said, I wonder what it would take how much of a sacrifice it would take for us to become personally invested in paying off the debt at North Point Baptist Church. My wife turned and she looked at me and she said, what do you mean? And I said, turned back to her and I said, you realize, honey, that we spend over $100,000 a year on a loan at our church. Did you hear that? That could be translated into ministry. I said, we are going to pay, if we continue at the rate that we are at now, for a 30-year mortgage on that church, we are going to pay close to $2 million in interest on a loan. And I said to her, what can we do? She said, Lee, we are just one, one, two people. She said, we can't make it that big of a difference. I said, I don't believe the Lord is looking to us to make a big difference. I think the Lord is just asking us to make a difference. On average, at our church, we have 150 giving units, which means that there are 150 people within our local church that give on a regular basis. We have a budget that you have already been proposed with that we have to meet on a week-in and week-out basis. And what you give right now goes towards that budget. I took what my wife and I personally give. And I said, this is what we give every single week. And she said, right. And I said, we're going to increase that. And I said, and then what we're going to do, you say, Pastor, are you looking for a pat on the back? No, 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 please, please understand. This has nothing to do with pride. This has to do with me just sharing with you. That's all I'm doing. Please understand that, okay? I'm, I'm just trying to help you understand where I'm at. I said, then we're going to go a little further than that. And she said, how much further? And I said, I've told you before I got in the pulpit on Sunday morning, January the 1st, 2017, that I was going to ask God 
to extend us beyond anything that we've ever been extended before. And this is what she said. She said, I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to trust you. And I said, deal. I took 1.296576.81, which is what we owe as of January 1st, 2017. I took 150 giving units. I divided it by three years. Then I broke it down to per week, which is about 156 weeks. If 150 giving people would give $46 a week to just, now I'm talking about above your ties, above anything that you give, $46 a week, which translates into $184 a month. December the 30, or excuse me, December the 1st, 2020, we would be debt free. Did you hear what I just said? We would save $1.345 million on interest on the loan that we currently have. You say, Pastor, you're, 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 that is a lot of money. I, I'm going to agree with you 100%. Because everything that we give is a sacrifice. Everything that we, we pledge to the Lord is a sacrifice. And you say, Pastor, $184 a month goes a long way in my household. I understand that. I do. That is why I'm not going to hand you a piece of paper and say, I want you to owe me $184 of this church, $184 a month. I don't want to do that. What I want you to do is I want you to know what it takes As we talk about, as I said when I stood in this pulpit in the very first time and said, it would take five years for us to get to where I believe God wants us to be. You say, Pastor, that is a huge challenge. I understand that. But I also know that there are some people in this room that could possibly give more than $184 a month. I know there are some people in this room that may not be able to give no more a month. I understand that. However, I also know what God has told us. This is why I struggled with this message so much. I've never stood in this pulpit and asked you to do something like this before. And you may never have me, you you may never see me in this pulpit ever do it again. But as I watch week after week those doors open, And new people come and sit in our pews. And God working on people's hearts and people joining our church. I think to myself, what is God doing? And do I trust God enough with everything in my life to make another sacrifice? Look at me, church. I'm going to tell you something, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart because I love every one of you. I've decided that I'd love to see our church 
be free. I'm just telling you. Because I believe when our church is free, that God could do so much more. So I'm going to tell you, if nobody else does, I'm in. I'm in. I would never ask or even talk to you about doing anything that I wouldn't do myself. You say, Pastor, why three years? Why not five years? Why not seven years? I don't know. Maybe I just want to test him. Maybe I just want to prove him. Maybe I just want to see how big God really is. You say, Pastor, are you allowed to say that? Yeah. Malachi tells me I am. I just want to see how big he is. When you come in next week at the Welcome Center, there's going to be a stack of offerings that look, or a stack of envelopes that look like this. They say debt reduction fund on them. This is not your tithe. This is not your offering. And I'm going to beg you, please do not take away from that. If you cannot give to this, no one is going to talk to you about it. No one's going to say a word to you. I'm not even going to know who does it, except for me. But every single dollar that you put in one of these envelopes at the end of every month, we're going to take that money and we're going to send it right to our debt. And every single month, on the first Sunday of the month, you're going to see in the bulletin how much went to our debt. Every month. Are you with me? Okay. It's 11.50. I know what time it is. I do. But you have no idea how much it's taken me to get up and do this. You really don't. But I'm so passionate about our church and so passionate about our community. And I'm more passionate about your vision, yours. And I can't wait till my door opens for the very first time and somebody walks into it and says, Pastor, I challenged God. And guess what? What? He proved who he is. And we can rejoice together. Now you say, Pastor, I can't do that much. This is not my vision. This is your vision. It's yours. This is between you and God. Yeah, I just told on myself what I'm going to do. But that's my vision. What's yours? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.